the home, your home, if you're fortunate enough to have a home, A, and you're fortunate enough to use food for um, more than calories and, and drink for more than just quenching your thirst, you know, you should lean into it. And when you have a home and there's something bubbling away, that's the phrase, bubbling away, and you can smell it, you can see it, you can hear it, um, it's just, it makes it more of a home. You're going to be happy you at least tried. everyone. I'm Emily Hutto, and you're listening to the Radcraft Industry Relief Podcast. If you just tuned in, I recommend going back to episode one, where I tell the origin story of Radcraft Industry Relief. It's a Zoom gathering turned podcast that captures the evolution of the craft beer industry over the past few years through the lenses of some of my friends and colleagues. Today, I'm joined by my radiant friend, Julia Herz, the executive director of the American Homebrewers Association. Julia is a lifetime communicator of craft as a homebrewer, public speaker, podcaster, author, and much more. What are you pouring? This is the Nearly Nirvana Pale Ale that I made for uh, Big Brew, American Homebrewers Association. Uh, it gets thousands of people to brew first weekend of each May. And I did a bunch of test batches. It looks pretty good, carbonation held. It's a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale clone. Beer is a journey, and I'm just on it. Julia told me that the day I met her. I quoted that in the introduction to my book, Colorado's Top Brewers, and I'll take the opportunity to do it again right now. Here we are in 2021 on an industry relief call sharing bits of her journey. Some of the programs that came out of her reign at the BA were some of the most impactful on the industry. One example of that is the Take Craft Back campaign that came about in 2017. That was a huge push for the independent beer movement. And shortly after that, she helped instate the Brewers Association independent seal, which was a marker of independence in our community that was otherwise challenging to display in an efficient way. Julia is the queen of beer and food pairing. She is the guru, and yet she is still so humble about everything that she's done and impacts. Now Julia is working for the American Homebrewers Association, and in between getting laid off from the BA during the pandemic, which is a huge part of our conversation in Radcraft Industry Relief and a huge part of her drama trauma, she uses that phrase a lot, during that time, um, she actually went out on her own. She started an entity called Hers Muses, and she was doing all kinds of strategic support for beverage companies in her short period of, quote, unemployment. You know, where you were yesterday leads to where you go tomorrow, um, and wherever you go, there you are kind of thing. Uh, I was broadcast journalism major, University of South Florida, Graduated with that degree, got a job at Washington DC Bureau because my that was where I grew up. And so I went to live at home, worked at CNN Washington DC. And 
give or take almost three years later, I wanted to leave. I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew I wasn't going to climb the ranks there willingly, um, even though there was a lot to learn from. So I had that Gypsy Jetta. We called it the Gypsy Jetta. I love alliteration. It was, uh, it was our vehicle for almost a year where we lived on the road. $15 a day was the average dollar amount. Um, and it was our gateway to the country. And we traveled from DC, Maryland area. First we went south and then we went west. And on that trip, I visited multiple breweries. Anchor Steam was the biggie. And I remember touring, we were able to get a tour. We hung out with the employees after at their marble bar. I said, I want to work in a brewery. They were really encouraging. Um, so from that visit, and then also um, at some point in that year, we volunteered at the Great American Beer Festival and stayed in Denver um, in the Gypsy Jetta, either camping in the tent, wherever we put it, or sleeping in our friends' houses or whatever. Um, that was such a, a connector. That vehicle took us to brew pubs when we didn't know anyone in the towns. Um, and it also drove us to national forests, national parks, where we camped and got really healthy. And so we had this great balance on that trip. It was a vision quest trip almost. And now, kind of fast forward to today, um, I'm getting ready to do another trip, which brings me back to my 20s. Flash forward to the end of 2023. Julia and I are on another Zoom chat. She's north in Lyons, Colorado. I'm southwest in Durango. I'm a few sips into my Dolores River Brewery cream ale and waxing about our first acquaintance. So I'd been beer writing for a couple of years and I had been following your beer writing and beer speaking and beer advocacy for a couple of years. And in 2012, I think it was when I reached out to you so that I could interview you about a book I was writing about Colorado beer, I felt like I was emailing. I was. It wasn't just a feeling. It was a reality. I was emailing a celebrity. And I was the most starstruck maybe that I've ever been in my entire beer career when I walked up to your office, which at that point in time was on Pearl Street. I walked into your office to see this stack of Zymergy magazines that was probably taller than you. And I just thought to myself, I'm, I'm, I'm at the mothership. I'm, I'm in the homeland. And, and this person is, is just, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm in her office. She's real. You had this very calming presence for me that day and always have. And you went on to tell me about your gypsy Jetta and your beer pilgrimage across the United States and the way that you were involved in homebrewing and mead making and so many other types of fermentation before you got involved in the Brewers Association. And I left your office just feeling this is my person. <laughs> and you've been my person ever since. So I've, I'm truly so glad that you're here and that you accepted me. But all that to say, I've known you for a long time. And when Radcraft Industry Relief became a thing, you were one of the first people I wanted to invite. And you were one of the last to stick with us and stay a part of the conversation over time in a really meaningful way. And you did it all in the room that you're currently in. 
we find the bright spots and what's going on. And one of those bright spots has been being in the space of my beautiful, wonderful home with my family. I think this will be an interesting full circle story. And I know my version, but um, I'd love to hear from you just as a start, what what got you coming to Radcraft Industry Relief in the first place? Well, I think, Emily, the the community that you gather um, and the ideas and the, and the causes that you help. Um, and the bottom line is, is that where Emily Hutto goes, I want to follow. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, informationally, I just felt like those gatherings gave me, A, a point in my calendar that I looked forward to, B, an opportunity to know that I was going to be heard if I was sharing and get great, authentic, reliable information if I was listening. So to me, I think those are the top line takeaways with other little nuggets that I'm sure as I fall asleep tonight, I will be like, oh, I should have shared that one. You you have an amazing way to, to I think, pick some of the right things that need attention. And sure, when you're in beer, you can use like one of my phrases for the entire segment of, of independent craft beer or craft beer is, is craft brewers use their, their craft beers as a cause for other causes, right? And when you are a brewery, you readily do that. Um, home brewers do it too. And when you are a allied trade supporter and partner to the the breweries, like Radcraft is, you do it three, right? You you use your network and your resources, and it's probably one thing and that that helps fuel you um, throughout the day in and day out. Um, it's not just about the job and the business and who you get to work for and with. It's about what you get to do while you're in beer. So that's that's what's exciting to me. And. It's your story, Julia, that I really, I look to a lot over the course of the last three years for this beautiful example of how to exercise strength and grace simultaneously during a shit show. Well, so, and um, getting to talk to people about it, right? And that's one of the the, the most, the, the, the gatherings, just being honest and, and having a conversation set to not just... What are the stats? What are what are the resources on this? Right, we we go to a lot of webinars focused on certain topics, panels on topics, presentations on topics, whether it's in person, online. But to have a conversation be set at like, how's everyone doing? And sometimes you would pick a theme. Sometimes it would just be go for it, right? Uh, but that was very freeing to talk to people that on a normal level I would talk to them as. Um, under kind of different circumstances. And so we were all equals in our lens to that conversation. It goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Julia is a force of nature. When she's passionate about something, you can feel it, even over Zoom. One of Julia's passion projects is Gray for Good. I was honored to help with the launch of this global campaign to encourage women identifying individuals everywhere to let their gray hair flow. In ditching the dye, we save money, money that she hopes will give charitably to women and girls focused causes. Julia debuted Gray for Good in 2021 with an impressive display of lyrical poetry and smooth dance moves in her very own music video to boot. Gray, gray, ain't going away. And since it's here, I've got something to say. This is my truth, and I'm going to let it loose. Are you ready? Yes! Why we got to color, why we got to try, why we got to cover up what's real and not a lie. 
Don't I got that aura? Don't I got that vibe? Don't we get to celebrate every year? Big picture, Gray for Good is Julia's answer to narrowing the wage gap. Zoomed in, this campaign is pretty personal for her too. Um, Gray for Good for All Womanhood, which was, Emily, you were, talk about picking your person. Um, You personally, to me, were one of the reasons that I felt okay to keep moving forward with that kooky, crazy project that still lives today. And Emily, you put in so much time and resources, again, using what you had um, in such a such a a lifetime of impact kind of way. So Gray for Good for All Womanhood, you can go to grayforgood.com. One day, I I still swear that I won't let it go and and take it to the next level, but it's a campaign. And throughout the course of COVID uh, and the journey of being laid off, traveling in my camper, um, I stopped coloring my hair like many, many other women, um, coloring it to prevent gray. A, because I was already in that space, I was starting to feel not comfortable coloring my hair every time I did it. B, because it was money I didn't really have as easy access to anymore. And C, because, I don't know, for some reason I had to create a whole campaign behind not coloring my hair just to let me not color my hair. And so (laughs) women in the United States, based on 70 million women at a certain age, 39 to 70 some odd take half of that population, figure they color their hair six times a year. There's, you know, basically the math goes to $20 billion. And I discovered that women or girls' causes are severely underfunded. And so if we could take the money and shift it from women coloring our hair to try to be something that we don't need to try to be, and yet then giving that money to women that actually have the the need for it, um, through uh, hun- you know thousands, tens of thousands of causes devoted to women and girls, I wanted people to say, I grade, I saved, I gave. It's not a call out campaign of, hey, because I had so many girlfriends when I released it, I was so excited about it. And they were like, oh crap, you're going to be that that friend now that judges me for coloring my hair. And I'm like, absolutely not. We have to express ourselves. Color of your hair, fashion, makeup, whatever is an expression. Express, please, that's that's healthy. I just wasn't comfortable expressing myself in that only that way any longer. I felt like I was covering myself up, right? I was coloring myself away. So that's why it's a call-in campaign, not a call-out campaign. I want people to call in to me and not help have me feel shamed. And I'm not going to have people at all ever feel shamed for coloring their hair. I mean, we've been taught to do that. It's a really systemic, mental, almost brainwashed type of thing, hard to break. And when when you grow up seeing it in magazines and movies, and then as you come of age and you see women around you doing it, like it, all these things reinforce doing it. it. It totally makes sense. And I personally did it for many years, but... Um, yeah, I just don't want to be shamed anymore for looking my own color. And it also helps me feel more confident, frankly, instead of less confident. I was less confident when I was getting that racing stripe and feeling like, you know, like angst to get to the get to the bathroom and that box in my hand to color again. That's that was weird and I'm done with that and I feel so much better. Hell yeah. I felt like the last couple of times I dyed my hair, I was practicing addictive behavior with the knowing I didn't really want to purchase the box and then letting it go a little longer and then purchasing the box and then doing the thing and then having guilt and shame immediately afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just like, what am I doing? I know what's better for me. Um, I know what I want 
it's, and it was, yeah, it was like a breakup and a, a little grief of its own. And I, I couldn't have desired or gotten lucky enough with a better mentor for it. And to be a part of your journey when you were in the middle of it was just so real and raw. So thank you for being open about it and sharing that not just with me, but with everyone who experienced that campaign. How have you seen the beer industry change for good in the last couple of years? It's more acceptable now to speak up. It's easier now to find avenues, trainings, tools, more HR resources at breweries that were never in place, uh, breweries that actually have an employee handbook that never used to. So I think from some of the messy part of what went on in beer um, from the kind of HR perspective uh, is 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 now um, the Band-Aid's been ripped off. There's still a big wound, and there, frankly, I don't know how many generations we'll have to go through before there's not discrimination, harassment, assault, et cetera. Um, so that's both good and bad because at least now we're in a space where people can talk about it, right? Um, I'd also say really good in beer is like, um, total switch of the, like, talk about swinging the pendulum on what I just talked about. Now what I'm going to say is happy loggers. Let's talk about actually something really fun. Oh my gosh. Craft brewers, like, hey, craft beer came from brew pubs and then to, you know, microbreweries and then the craft beer movement, that term. And the whole notion of breweries on the small level not being able to do loggers was actually a a truism in a sense, right? They're more expensive. You don't necessarily have loggering tanks. They take longer to ferment. But now craft brewers are making some of these amazing hoppy lagers. Um, you know, uh, uh, Russian River and um, Firestone Walker did an amazing collaboration that taught many of us with, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Armatis hops, French hops, um, STO, lager beer. I don't know if anybody's ever had it, but it was like, this like amazing American Pilsner, but with much more hop um, emphasis and a a true, I think, revelation. So like the exploration continues, right? The way that that we're kind of seeing the hazy craze, right? To each her or his own, hazies have been good for craft beer. And that beer, you know, the New England IPA that's now juicy or hazy in the Brewers Association style guidelines, that is a revolution. And now with these hoppy lagers that I think are just as expensive to produce, so they're not necessarily going to compete with the mass-produced, less expensive lagers that frankly aren't as flavor-forward, you're seeing craft brewers say, we've got all the equipment, we can do all these things, let's do some things that will take people to even a deeper um, place for flavor in beer, and I'm, I'm all in. Sign me up to follow, and then sign me up to brew many of those. Inventing new styles is, I think, one of the best things. Yeah. I haven't had anyone answer that question by way of beer styles either. I should have known that that was top of mind for you. Yeah, because it's all about flavor. It's like, why are we into beer? Because we like to drink it. Hello. I think the beer industry is built on curiosity. And I'm not surprised that consumers want to stay curious along the journey too. You just said it. That's the one to put on like the big billboard. The beer business is built on curiosity. It is. And that curiosity needs to translate to business, needs to translate to sales. But hey, brewery A, B, or C, you kind of got to go where your customers want you to go, 
right? Don't tell, I mean, you can tell them where you want to take them and more power to you. Um, but often pay attention to what's selling the best for you. Lean in on that. That's the one you market the most, right? To promote the most. And then your fringe projects, hopefully they can emerge and, and, um, come to life in a broad, like year in and year out way, but maybe they have a life cycle because they're just not resonating. It's good to pivot. Pivot equals silver lining. Pivot equals the potential for something greater and better than the space that you were in prior. So the last couple of years have made us all feel very uncomfortable. But for me, some of that discomfort has been pushing through to the next level, the next dynamic, the next idea, things like that. I love to ask people about their soapboxes. Their responses are often windows into how they think, what they dream, who they are. In this case, Julia and I get into it about homebrew soapboxes, naturally, but I think you'll sense there's more to it than the liquid we're talking about brewing in her backyard or your backyard. That's kind of the whole point, the reason we made this podcast. Beer is about so much more than beer. We are playing God. We are playing the life force, right? And whatever your practices are, don't don't get too hung up on the words I'm using. But like when we take yeast and mix it with sugars that have been transformed by enzymatic creation and reactions and proteins and like diluted so there's water there, like we're playing God. And it's pretty damn cool to do that. So I don't know. My soapbox is, is that... The craft beer biz wouldn't be here without homebrewing. The whole um, notion that you're in beer, I just, my tweet from today, like a few hours ago was, are you really into beer, question mark, if you haven't homebrewed? Well, get going. And so you want to say you're into beer, then please say you've homebrewed and that you regularly do it a couple of times a year at least, because you will be more into beer, I, I promise you, and the enjoyment of it will uh, will will just shoot to the moon compared to just having it taken care of for you, which is frankly lovely. That's the majority of what's in my fridge, right? But so that's that's my plea and soapbox moment. Thanks for giving me the chance to stand on it. I think homebrew is the biggest builder of community in my life to date. It is where I have found the best friends and my people. And even if I don't necessarily homebrew with those people, we have that connection of shared appreciation for the process, which is the only reason that I've stayed relevant in this industry for so long is because I, I knew about the process and I wanted to learn more. And there's that application thereof that I just think is completely priceless. So you've reminded me and everyone to get our damn homebrewing equipment back out and make something. Oh, well, I just say anyone listening to this, you made it along this far into the the show, like the resources behind this are amazing. The sound's going to be great. You have standards that aren't um, really in place for a lot of... uh, show casts, whatever you want to call it, podcasts that I um, interact with. So I would say this is going to be, whoever you're tapping is going to be quality conversations to listen to. Um, yeah, we're all going to fangirl on Emily. That's just why you're listening in the first place. Um, but but stick with the show because I'm, I'm very excited with the effort behind it and the um, quality of the meaning of the conversation. Mm-hmm.
Thank you, Julia, for the vulnerability and effervescence with which you showed up for Radcraft Industry Relief. And thanks to you for listening. In the next episode, meet another regular from the Industry Relief Calls. Laura Lodge of the Big Beers Festival, the Startabrewery.com website, and customized craft beer programs. This podcast has been a Radcraft production. Get to know us at radcraftbeer.com slash industry relief.